Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome back to Politico Tech. Today is Wednesday, October 11th. I'm Stephen Overly. The world watched as Hamas militants from Gaza used low-tech equipment like bulldozers and hang gliders to breach a security barrier and wage a brutal attack on Israel over the weekend. So far, the number of dead civilians on each side of the conflict numbers in the hundreds and is expected to grow. But Hamas also had a social media strategy behind its attack. Graham Brookie is the senior director of the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensics Research Lab, a group that has been tracking online misinformation and propaganda since the conflict started. It is a team of about 50 people spread out around the world where we have staff and researchers in 17 different countries. And what they're doing is they're looking at online information environments and their impact on on things like democracy or in any number of other uh, scenarios, online harms, conflict zones. And unfortunately, a lot of our team is, is looking at a number of conflict zones around the world right now. On today's Politicotech, Graham explains how Hamas used platforms like X and Telegram to incite fear and amplify its attack. What is your weekend look like? Obviously, you're, you and your team have been tracking the Hamas attack on Israel and the, the resulting conflict that's been playing out. Can you just kind of what, what have your days looked like? First, understanding the universe of things that is happening on the Internet, which is impossible, to be clear. Uh, that's that's an impossible job. And so then narrowing to the things that we think are foundational or, or most important to understand about about a conflict. And that's Number one, that verification. And so understanding what's happening on the ground. Uh, in this case, over the weekend, there in the attack by Hamas uh, against Israel, there were 13 breaches of Israel's borders. Uh, we saw explosives into the border. We saw paragliders with fighters and small weapons going over those borders. We saw boats coming in from across Israel's southern border. So any number of, we saw drone activity, uh, a lot of right. conflict verification. And then on top of that, we saw uh, actors, uh, pretty well-coordinated content coming from Hamas itself. Um, the, the media wing of Hamas was well-prepared for this military attack. And then we saw a lot of crowdsourced material, including a lot of mis- and disinformation or or factually untrue information uh, or content from other conflicts that was posited as something that was happening on the ground. And so parsing all of that, uh, the team right now is working on, number one, what platforms are most relevant for this conflict? Like how what places online are most relevant for understanding what is happening on the ground right now in Israel? And for the most part, that's Telegram, which is interesting, a, a platform named Telegram and Twitter and some other large social media platforms that have a lot of audience, very large social media platforms, of course, uh, but in particular, Telegram and Twitter right now for our team. Let's get into that a little bit more. You know, one thing you said I, I want to pick up on, you know, you mentioned the media wing of Hamas being sort of primed for this. 
what kind of misinformation or, or other content have you seen, you know, being disseminated online specifically from Hamas? And have you learned anything about maybe how that fits into their strategy here? Yeah, it, from a conflict study standpoint, and this is something that you would probably hear on NatSec Daily instead of instead of the tech policy uh, podcast from Politico, but the we we do it all here. We do, we do it, it all. all. <laughs> the thing that that listeners need to know about this conflict is that it's asymmetric. It's not a conventional war between two nation states, and what happened over the weekend was something that's larger than an isolated terrorist attack, and so it's something that is in between. Hamas itself is a political and military organization that controls the Gaza Strip. Uh, It's aligned with Hezbollah, which is a terrorist organization with a political wing that's mostly based in southern Lebanon on Israel's northern border. Uh, Both of those groups are backed by Iran, uh, which is a country that refuses to recognize Israel's right to exist uh, or Israel's existence, period. Uh, And in addition to that, Israel has an overwhelming military advantage over Hamas uh, and has ruled parts of uh, Palestinian territories, the Gaza Strip, which Hamas controls, uh, and the West Bank as essentially a, a military state or a police state. Uh, and so this is this is a long, long-standing conflict, and Hamas has engaged in terrorist activity before. It's an asymmetric conflict. Israel has an overwhelming military advantage over Hamas, and so a large part of Hamas's strategy is to incite as much terror as possible. And a big part of the strategy of inciting terror is not just the attack, which included a lot of uh, civilian casualties, some military casualties, uh, and hostage-taking, but also depends on their ability to incite fear in online and especially online spaces. And so that's that's a big part of how they incite terror is broadcasting as much of that content as humanly possible uh, to incite the fact that they can do this type of attack, incite the fear in in the Israeli people for sure, uh, as well as global audiences, letting global audiences know that this is something this type of violence is something they are capable of. So it sounds like really amplifying kind of the the attack to extend the extend the effects of it not only within Israel but sending obviously a global message. I mean among the the information around the conflict and misinformation around the conflict that you all have been tracking there has the the Hamas generated content been what's gained the most traction or or what have you really seen take off? You know, that's an interesting question. It'll take a little while longer to to have a good assessment on that. Um so far what we're seeing is a flood of of content and the Hamas generated content is a really, really big part of that. And so in the immediate aftermath, in the immediate minutes and hours directly after uh, the attack began over the weekend, we saw some very glossy content. So what happens is, is a lot of the military brigades from Hamas have telegram channels. And that's a main mechanism by which they put out their message, their content. And what we saw in the immediate aftermath of the attack beginning was pretty glossy content, prepared content of exactly how they perpetrated this attack. Footage of the paragliders and explosive, the explosives hitting the wall and the paragliders going over the wall. You know, they had a video camera ready to go for this. And then a lot of images put out from those channels that are meme ready. 
which I can't even believe that that's a term that we use in, in conflict studies in 2023, but images that are meme ready, images that can be taken right. by other audiences and spread for their own messaging. Uh, and so a lot of glossy content that we saw a lot of that and continue to see a lot of that from Hamas uh, directed or aligned sources, especially on Telegram and other social media platforms as well. And then we see a lot of other content, whether that's verification content or kind of a spectator and kind of gross enthusiast content that's generated in a bunch of different spaces. And that's a big part of that area is where we see a lot of mis- and disinformation. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. Obviously, there have been clashes and conflicts over many decades between the Israelis and, and Palestinians, um, and with Gaza in particular, these platforms, the way they're used, have all kind of evolved since you know some of the the, the last attack or, or fighting we saw at this level. So, what what's different this time? You know, I think what's different this time is the muscle memory that these groups have in generating content that reaches a lot of people. And so a, a group like Hamas has, unfortunately, a lot of experience in creating this content. And they know that it needs to be an important part of their strategy uh, to produce essentially terror propaganda. That's number one. And then I think the other big part of what is different that we're seeing right now I just got off a call with a lot of our researchers who have been looking at this throughout the weekend, uh, and that includes researchers who have been conflict reporters for more than a decade. And, and what they're saying, at least uh, tangentially, uh, is that the content is graphic in a nature that they haven't been familiar with in other conflicts or online spaces. And so that is particularly concerning. And again, this is this is early days for this type of analysis. I think it'll take some time to be able to measure this in particular, is that a lot of these online spaces are newly less governed. And right. by that, I mean, Telegram is a tiny platform with an enormous global uh, user base. And a big part of their governance strategy is to let content go ungoverned very, very publicly, as we've seen over the last few year, uh, platforms like Twitter, which for better or for or X, sorry, formerly known as Twitter, right. are the news cycle. That's where the news cycle happens. That online platform is where the news cycle happens. And in the last year, it cut its almost entire social, uh, or rather trust and safety team, the team that looks at figuring out how to limit the reach of things like terror propaganda, things like mis- and disinformation, things like hate speech, which we're seeing a lot of hate speech coming out directly from this conflict. Uh, and so the team that used to be focused on human rights at Twitter doesn't exist anymore. So of course, we're going to see more content that violates basic human rights or is, is a graphic depiction of a violation of human rights on Twitter right now. 
What are the ramifications of that then? Because there has been a lot of criticism of Elon Musk, you know, some of the policies and, and the teams at Twitter, now X, that, that did that kind of work. Um, and, and frankly, he and the platform have gotten a lot of criticism just over the weekend with, you know, the amount of misinformation and the amount of violent graphic content that's been proliferating there. Yeah, I think these two things are are not separable, but we'll take them in different parts for for just a moment, if you'll bear with me. There's one, the thing that the platform is doing. And then there's the thing that Elon Musk is doing. Right. He is his own entity. Yeah. He is his own entity uh, for for worse in, in many information environments that he engages in uh, or many topics that are that are breaking uh, information events on the platform that he now owns. Uh, and so what the platform is doing with really, really limited resources, they just put out on Tuesday a new policy statement that says all of the things that they're doing to try to limit the amount of uh, terror propaganda, explicit content or graphically violent content, uh, false content, and hate speech. Uh, And that's fair enough, including deploying some amount of new tooling, including working with other consortiums, uh, other tech platforms or online social media platforms through a consortium that that looks at terrorist content called GIFCT. And so they said that they're working with entities like that. And that's that's a good step. That's that's industry standard. That's what we would expect. They did that under old Twitter. They did that under old Twitter. And the reality of it is that instead of dozens of people that are really well qualified to go and do this type of work, uh, which does include some amount of manual work uh, on a platform, it's not just AI systems that are identifying all of this type of content and then limiting it or removing it and all that stuff, uh, it's it's people sitting at a computer screen and looking at this and making judgments. Um, and it used to be that there were dozens of people that do that at Twitter. And now there's only a handful. Right. There's just a limited amount of people at these platforms that are dealing with this. Uh, and to steal a quote from, from one of our researchers, Dina Sadek, that's working on this, the content flood on any of those categories of things, uh, terror propaganda, false content, hate speech, uh, mis and disinformation, that the flood of all of those things always outpaces our ability to moderate or verify. And that's an age-old challenge for social media and conflict. And what about Musk's sort of individual role that he's been playing Amplifying misinformation and spreading memes that sort of uh, in some ways seem to make a mockery of the criticisms that his platform is getting. He, number one, engages in false content or misleading content. Almost it appears to be for sport, right? It seems like he en- he enjoys being a contrarian or, or debating points of view on the Internet, uh, which is his right. Uh, and he has this additional responsibility because he literally bought one of the largest platforms on the face of the planet that is a marketplace of ideas. And in addition to that, even if he didn't own Twitter uh, and the rules that govern Twitter right now, all of those things, he has an enormous cult-like following that takes him at his word on every word that he puts out. Uh, And it sets the tone for the platform that he owns. And that's a problem. Right. It, it, it's at best, 
not helpful. And at worst, makes challenges like limiting the reach of hate speech on his platform a lot, a lot harder or a lot worse. Any other observations that we haven't gotten to around how social media and and online presence has fit into Hamas's strategy here with this conflict? It's going to be interesting and really, really terrifying to see how this plays out over the next few days. Uh, The stated goal of the attack by Hamas against Israel was to take hostages. And if a large part of Hamas's strategy is to incite fear and terror, uh, and a large part of their strategy is to spread terror propaganda, especially in online spaces, then we will see some content that is truly horrifying. That's something that any number of governments and national security teams are working on in this very moment around the world. Uh, I'm sure I, I was the advisor to the president's counterterrorism and, and homeland security advisor for three years uh, in a past iteration before I worked at the Atlantic Council. I know for a fact that that team is working on this right now. Uh, it's something that platforms, social media platforms in particular, need to be preparing for right now and will be shocking and horrifying. You know, I'm I'm reminded that um, for a brief period, the Biden administration had a, a disinformation kind of advisory council that, you know, was sort of disbanded under political pressure in a lot of ways. And I, ha- I have to think that that kind of body might be useful, you know, in a moment like this where you have this major world event with all these consequences and uh, disinformation and online propaganda is, is such a big part of the equation. Yeah, I think that's right. But also, in conflict zones in particular, topics that the the national security bureaucracy or apparatus of the United States government is is naturally engaged in, one of the other really important and and underreported components of that that deal with mis and disinformation or create resilience against mis and disinformation is not overclassifying things. I, right, you take another example in the conflict in Ukraine, and you saw a massive effort from the United States government and allied governments to declassify and expose as much Russian activity uh, as soon as Russia uh, started their war of aggression against Ukraine or their reinvasion attempt uh, of Ukraine. Um, and that declassification of what would typically be classified material or secret material is really important in exposing uh, an adversary like like Russia in that example, uh, or their understanding of what Hamas is trying to do. Got it. Well, um, Graham, I know you have a lot of work ahead on all this stuff, so uh, let's uh, stay in touch. But thank you for being on Politico Tech today. Thanks, Stephen. It's good to talk to you. I reached out to Twitter with a request for comment on today's episode. I did not receive a response. That's all for today's Politico Tech. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior producer is Annie Reese. Our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. I'll see you back here tomorrow.